0: I think during this time of all times, when people have have counted all the cost and you know their consciences are, are free and they show up even in the midst of something like this, it's it's like a much, even louder sermon.
1: Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here, as always, with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing great, Nick. We are recording this uh, on Thursday morning, July 30th, which is about 21 hours later than we ordinarily record this, which is something that I'm grateful for because I got 21 extra hours to deep dive into this Todd White story. Mm. Have you guys been following this Todd White thing? Yes. Yeah, I've seen it pretty incredible. Um, This guy who I had never actually heard of. um, I apparently live a relatively sheltered life. I had never heard of until we watched um, that American gospel film on Tuesday night and then uh, saw basically the very next day that he had preached on Sunday this repentant gospel message. And it's just sort of this amazing thing, which, you know, wait and see. And there are definitely some suspicious folks. Um, But an amazing story of, of a man talking about how the Lord was pruning him and being honest about how much that hurt. You know, this is, this is not a way that we often hear about. We hear people talking about their pruning as though it's not a painful thing. And I felt like it was really powerful to hear him say, the Lord told him there are things in you that need to die and I'm going to kill them. Just a potentially profound story of real conversion. Yeah, no, I, ha- I have followed Todd White for quite a
2: while. I, I've been interested in that and in the incursion of some of the more radical, charismatic, new new apostolic reformation type people, and he's one of those, or he has been one of those up to this point. And uh, his his quote unquote gospel has been, you know. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Right now, you have right two here, two legs
1: that are the same length. Yeah, right. He he did that. He went
2: around I doing know, the leg yeah. lengthening parlor trick. Right. So, um, so he was he was really a charlatan. And, and then when the American Gospel came out, and he was featured as one of the one of the charlatans, and uh, Costi Hinn, who's Benny Hinn's uh, redeemed uh, nephew, sent him a copy of that along with a letter saying, "Hey, I really hope you watch this. I hope, really hope you repent." Todd White then got up on stage and said, "This is a demonic film, American Gospel. It's uh, thank you for doing it, though, because you've, driven me, you've convinced me even more of my of the right course that I'm on. You've strengthened my faith, and I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm doing." And that was like in May, wow. <laughs> so, not <wow>. long ago. <laughs> yeah, and so since then, something's happened. We know what happened, but 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 every everything that I heard in that sermon that he preached, which I guess was this last Sunday, was straight down the line gospel presentation you are a sinner in need of a savior you need to repent i need to repent things i'd never heard todd white yeah. say. He, he never
0: spoke about sin. how did his congregation take it they, they were shell shocked oh my <laughs> gosh yes, i bet they were the,
1: the best part of the whole thing was at the end he has this altar call he says if any of you are feeling convicted now the way that I'm talking about, I felt, come on down and we'll pray. And like six or eight people show up down there. And he literally says, I feel like more of y'all should be down here.
2: Yeah, yeah. And he was right. I mean, I I do think they were shell-shocked. I think they were just completely, they probably, most of the people in that auditorium had never heard anything like that in their lives or perhaps they had,
0: they're fleeing from that too. Yeah. Know, to and that poor problem. guy, the poor guy with one leg, about three inches shorter was like, Oh man, man this, this is not my day. This is awful. <laughs> I knew I should have come last night. Like, what the heck? You know, that reminds me, it's funny. I So I grew up in Baton Rouge and was sort of coming of age in my sort of thinking right during the Jimmy Swagger scandals, you know, mm-hmm. to, which, I mean, these days would have, he would have just, um, just switch churches or something you know compared to what some of the uh things are going on but but um but what is interesting about that is you know that was very formative you know watching this man fall from grace and having you know just that in as part of the, the christian water and then watching people discuss it and talk about it and so uh it was many years later i was back home visiting and i was in college and i was just flipping through the like the uh, radio stations just looking for something and I came across a preacher and I started listening to him and it turns out that it was Jimmy Swaggart and he had an entirely different message than now. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what he was preaching about before but this message was very clearly I think at the time he was actually talking through Uh, Rick Warren's 40 days of purpose or whatever the uh, purpose driven life or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And he was just going point by point critiquing it, saying, this is not the gospel. This is not the gospel. This is the law. This is the law. And I was thinking about just how powerful, you know, the testimony of the genuinely redeemed, you know, the, Mm. the, 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 the the true truly repentant you know because obviously he would have been humiliated by his own right. actions and sin and yet um found something greater you know at the bottom of that uh, and this sounds like exactly what's happening with todd todd White i mean we can continue to pray for him because oh, what a wonderful platform he has you know an amazing an amazing story and um you know i hope you know obviously we we pray and trust and hope that uh, he just continues because because what a what a story
2: yeah, I've heard that some good people are around him now. So, Hinn like and others have, have really now kind of worked their way in close to him. So, hopefully, that, that that's good because he doesn't want to be. And he's going to need that support. By, yeah, because yeah, I mean, you, you what was it? Kenneth Egan was his former spiritual father, or was it someone else? Well, the guy with the with the big jets uh, Kenneth Copeland That's right
1: like, officially like passed the
2: baton to him yeah, yeah. right right so so the people the Copelands of the world are going to try and lure him back into the darkness
0: yeah i read um, i don't recommend it but i did read it the uh, the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker story um, called PTL you know that was the name of their praise the lord and it was basically a um, sort of a sordid expose of the history of that, uh, you know. But as a Christian, though, I'm reading it, and I'm like, you know, if I were a non-Christian, it would just be it would be fodder for my rejection of Christianity. They're all hypocrites. They're all. <laughs> but as a Christian, I was definitely sympathetic, although, of course. You know, I, I would not condone any of that. Uh, some of the the uh, excesses um, in my own life or the life of another Christian leader. Nevertheless, you can recognize the impulse and the the capability. You know, as a Christian person, and so you read this book sort of as a as a cautionary tale, almost. You know, you say, "Well, this is what when power, power influence." money and opportunity combined uh with a sinful heart without real genuine loving accountability and friends who are gonna you know help you uh navigate out of the darkness well then don't be surprised if you find yourself in it you know and that was sort of the you know it's almost like the book it's almost like you want to give it to young seminarians you know and like read this like when you think about wanting to have a 5,000 person church or you want to have you know you want have these aspirations for greatness like just read this and see what happens when um what what a possibility could be. You know, it's like it's like uh Bo Geertz, you know, wrote The Hammer of God as a um just as a manual for young for young ministers to like warn them of all the various ways that they could actually harm their their sheep. You know, it's like so you know like a list of books. Uh, this is what could happen, but for the grace of God. So find some people that love you who are gonna speak uh, you know clearly to you and and hold on because it's could it's gonna be a rocky road, you know, rocky yeah. ride. So Well, God bless Todd White. Goodness gracious. Amen.
1: Seems like there's gonna be more confession and more repentance to come there and he's gonna need support and prayer. And I mean, in the same way that the three of us need constant support and prayer, um, we will be praying for him too. But let's get to our topic for today. Another timely one, uh, church in the age of COVID-19. As many people will have probably seen last week, uh, John MacArthur's church, Grace Community in Sun Valley, California, decided to meet in person even though the governor of California had set limits on public gatherings that would have prevented them from doing so. And the simplest way to describe the situation is that a church wanted to meet together in a situation in which some people, perhaps many people, thought it wasn't safe for them to do so. Now, for our conversation today, I'm not that interested in the church and state discussion, whether churches have the right to meet. Uh, tons of people have interacted with that question john MacArthur himself addressed it in a letter to his church even you matt talked about that with ann on a recent episode of the preventing grace podcast what i'm interested in talking about today and what i actually haven't heard a lot of discussion about is why christians are so keen to meet together in person what's the big deal after all we have zoom isn't that the same thing what does scripture say about corporate worship what good comes from meeting praying and even singing together so there you go guys i uh, want to start at the beginning why do we meet together as the church
2: well there is of course the the command in <laughs> hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 that don't neglect the, the gathering of the saints and it's interesting that command is is for the mutual encouragement as right. the days uh, right. draw, draw toward the end. So the the purpose one one central purpose for our meeting together is is because God uses the fellowship uh, to build up His body, and it's 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 part of it's coming together, meeting with people who are who are very different from you, but who have the one thing that binds us all together, Christ and the Holy Spirit and the heart. It doesn't. You don't go to church and come away every Sunday feeling, oh man, that was so wonderful. I just feel like this was the happiest day of my entire week. And, and next week's me. Sometimes you come away from church think, man, I am so frustrated and irritated with that person or this person or whatever person. Um, but church acts in that sense as a sanctifying agent. I mean, you, you're you're bound together with people who are completely unlike you, and you're committed. You're commanded to love them. And they're commanded to love you. And so you have to learn how to forgive. You have to learn how to be patient. You have to learn how to find things that are good about people that you would otherwise, you would probably in the world just kind of dismiss and walk away from. Um, and so as that happens, you're, you know, the rough edges are ground away and you you become more and more like Christ as time, um, as time goes on. And so you, it's a bit like eating, you know, vegetables you know you, <laughs> you know i don't like vegetables i hate vegetables <laughs> but i know if i don't eat them i'm gonna miss my vegetables so so i need to move my, my vegetables and the same kind of thing with with going to church there are times it feels like just eating peas but but hey they're good for you and over time you're gonna be stronger because of it well there's and sometimes
0: like eating the delicious food too right occasionally yeah yeah, yeah of course yeah I'm,
2: I'm looking at the negative side but yes yeah, so
0: i like yeah her. i i totally agree <laughs> with you i mean i think that the you know I talked about this actually yesterday because Ted uh, and I have both been um, exhorting people to come back to church you know, with all the caveats, you know, if you if you have your conscience, we're not binding your conscience. If you have your doctor's advice, if you're compromised, you know, go down the list of things that would that are keeping you from from participating. And if you if none of those apply to you, though, and you're going to, you know, to Kroger on a regular basis, if you're going to your to your workout class, well, then you should come back. I mean, we we're making this argument. And so we're having to defend it a little bit because, you know, I don't want to to put a, a law on someone that's not biblical. But as you pointed out, Matt, the Hebrews ten twenty five, among others, you know, presuppose a gathering, the ecclesia, the assembly of the, the body of Christ for our own edification. I mean, this is what I keep pointing out. I was like, look, you know, as of now, Um, you know, I'm not sort of don't need you to come to just keep the lights on at my house. You know, like I'm going to be at some church, some, some Sunday, no matter what, you know, barring, you know, actual physical intervention. And I do that for my own edification my own spiritual discipleship and growth and sanctification and and, and the the what we say the strength and courage that comes from participating in worship and so i keep exhorting people that look this is for your benefit you know this is in the midst of in, particularly in the midst of of this deep uncertainty and all of the various um, problems that are facing us, this is precisely the time when you need to look to your left and your right and see other people that have been called out of darkness and into light. And as Paul talks about, been given the same spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, you need to come and cry out together. You need to come and, and be edified by the fact that someone else is putting their life at risk, which is what we do every day, um, but in the confident and sure hope that has been set before them. And I think that that sermon, you know, our physical bodies as a sort of living sermon as to what we're actually afraid of. Like, what are we? What are you afraid of? Like, what do you know? What do you have that you were not given? Like, who are you? Um, you know, we all walk um, in this world. Uh, with various fears, and for the Christian, at the very least, our confession, which is a faith confession, it's not as we walk by faith and not by sight, um, has to do primarily with confronting this fear that is brought upon by um, the coronavirus, which is that you know we're going to die. It's like, well, this is what we've been saying every Sunday, every day um, <laughs> since you became a Christian, is that you have been you who have been buried with Christ and don't you know that you also be raised with him and that is something that if you don't work through as Paul says in Philippians with fear and trembling on a regular basis well don't be surprised that 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 confident hope begins to fade and you know and then the worst part about it is that at the very place where you need it the most like when you do get diagnosed or when you do actually get that final you know the the doctor's visits like one of them is going to be bad you know like you could go when you're like 95 and they're like oh now the one where we have a frown instead of a smile. At that point, you have a lifetime of well, to use your analogy, vegetables, Matt. You know, you're know you going to be like Popeye. How about that? But uh, you know, and you're going to be ready to go with your spinach. Um, I personally like vegetables, so I would say that the church. I, I would say the church is. Um, so would, would that would be that would be a positive thing. Uh, so <laughs>
1: like a so delicious know. Caesar salad. There you <laughs> go.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I, one of the strengths of, of John MacArthur's sermon, I just listened to it this morning. Uh, one of the strengths of it, I think, was his his point that you know, especially during a time when all everything seems to be crumbling, all, all the foundations that people use have in their lives are. are torn apart they can't even sometimes they can't even meet together with you know dying relatives I mean you have Society's changing so much and why would you want then not to meet as a church during this time people really desperately need it I have people interestingly in my congregation who maybe before the coronavirus were kind of ho-hum about coming to church and they came because it was some kind of obligation but when they couldn't come it was suddenly we have to get we have to meet we have to get together and i and i that that was really encouraging to me cuz that told me that okay these people are are may not have known what they were getting every sunday but but take it away and now now there's that hunger there for the fellowship for the sacraments and and even for preaching even though they're getting it on video
0: yeah i mean i think it it's, it makes sense and that's what i was talking about yesterday uh, to someone saying that the, the Bible will just simply diagnose why all of these, quote unquote, virtual relationships that we have are insufficient. They're, they're, they're not real. Um, I mean, there's a certain expediency to the, be able to communicate, you know, via phone or now video or whatever. But that, that's never going to actually to be the same thing as face-to-face in-person contact you know i mean that's like oh paul it talks about you know, greet greet the saints with a kiss you know i mean he says that four that different touching times people and hugging and and being uh in person and that's because we are you know it's a theological term the psychosomatic union you know we're a psychosomatic unity you know we have a we're a mind we're not just a we're not a, a soul and a body sort of bifurcated we're this um you know using the analogy before of like a, a cake, you know, like egg and flour comes together and it cannot be separated anymore. This is how we are we are constituted. And and as the rejoinder comes, there is a brief moment where we are separated from our bodies. Um, but the ultimate end of our created existence is the resurrection of the bodies. what we talk about. So it's obviously important to be embodied in flesh, so much so that God Became incarnate himself. I mean, this is why all of this discussion about in-person, quote-unquote, uh, worship is simply a a subset of the larger question about the importance of our bodies at all, the importance of our embodied, in-fleshed existence. And so, you know, the fact that people are arguing as Christians that somehow this virtual reality, even if it's necessitated necessary for a time, can actually supplant or replace in-person worship is just a non-christian idea it's just not now of course if you were in prison or you're on the spaceship or you're you know there's all sorts of there's all sorts of there's all sorts of exceptions (laughs) but the exceptions do not prove the rule you know and this is what i get frustrated with when people start saying we need to get used to this new normal it's like well i'm not going to i'm not going to like i will listen to all of the thoughtful regulations as they come down about how to stay safe and to keep other people safe. But at the end of the day, this is where I will be taking risks um, in order to come to church much more so than a lot of other things that I choose not to do. You know, I'm not going back to the movies, you know, I haven't gone back to, um, haven't, I've, I've let go of my weekly putt-putt game, you know, things like this. Um, that's sort of a joke, but there's a lot of them around here. Uh, people I can come. imagine it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I've, um, you know, people are doing what they need to do to survive, and, uh, and there are a lot of Christians who are finding out whether or not they actually consider going to church, something that they need to do. Um, and I'm glad to be part of those who are saying this is something that's important enough for me and my family to, um, to, to participate in uh, with all the risks and, and understood and assumed. Your
1: observation, Matt, about um, having our edges sanded off as we meet together and worship together, I think is an astute one, because I think as we've observed these last several years in the rise of social media, even when the coronavirus was not an issue, the ability to actually and honestly and really relate to somebody in that world Is basically actually impossible at least in a Christian way because the Christian relationship presupposes the need to confess and repent and receive forgiveness and it seems to me that there's a sense in which an online relationship actual repentance is often um, not possible and Forgiveness is often not offered. Um, What actually happens is that the screen gets turned off and the relationship is broken altogether. But when you're standing shoulder to shoulder with somebody who, as I think each of you have noted, is not necessarily somebody you share affinities with. That's not why you're in church. This is, as JD has said before, this is not an affinity group. This is one of the only things in your life that is not an affinity group. You're standing there with somebody and you may... Be forced to confess a sin to them against them and they may be then forced to say i forgive you in jesus name that's something that is almost impossible online and is almost required in an actual physical relationship yeah
2: online i mean you can, if it's so much easier just to cut that person off um go join a different group or, or or if you're the group moderator cut that person out of your group and when written public written dialogue which is what the social media is it's it's not just you and the person you're talking to it's there's and so and so there's a lot at stake you who wins a discussion that you're you're that's what matters really you're not you're not really in the discussion with the person you're you're also kind of signaling to others the, the most important thing in those discussions or arguments you get into on social media is winning right <laughs> and if you can win and show yourself to be right and the other person wrong you that's great and so, and and I'm not saying it's completely valueless because often if you're in an argument online with somebody who's maybe teaching false doctrine, it is good to be able to signal to other people, okay, here's the truth, this is what this is where we need to be. Um, but all of that to say, you know, when you're meeting with somebody face to face who's maybe in your church who has the wrong idea about something or who. Um, has involved himself or herself in, in a, a set of behaviors that's dangerous. That your your the direction of the conversation is going to be different because you're not trying to win anything. Right. You're, not trying, you're not trying to crush yeah, it.
0: You community. still live next door to that person, right? You know, right. still like your kids are still best friends. You're like, okay, I got to figure this out.
2: You're trying, yeah. yeah, trying to figure it out. And yeah. uh, and and so if and if you have a culture, which I've tried to do my best to cultivate a good shepherd. If you ever a culture where leaving is the very last thing you do, you only do that if maybe I'm preaching heresy um, or there's someone or there's abuse going on in the church and no one's stopping it. But otherwise you stick together and you, you are commanded by Christ every Sunday to make peace with one another um, before you come to the table. So that better be an, an active ongoing thing you're doing regularly um, in your service to Jesus um, or don't even come don't even come forward to feed on him because you're you're not it if you're not at peace with your brother or sister, you're not at peace with him. Um so you just don't have any of that online. Online it's 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 just it's really almost a Burkean kind of
1: <laughs> kind of world. As far as I understand you, we're not just talking about conversations on Facebook or Twitter. We're actually I'm actually drawing a comparison between a church that exists primarily physically and a church service that exists primarily online where you're still not having to interact in a profound way with the people with whom you are allegedly gathering around the cross of christ
2: i, I went there because because it's just the nature of the sure. online uh conversation is going to be is going to be different but yeah i mean look all of our prisoners watching us do our thing on sunday morning who haven't who aren't able to meet yet with us yeah they get they get the sermon maybe they don't have any interaction with anybody else unless you're doing zoom uh we're not doing zoom we're doing facebook live but i guess zoom you might have some interaction but he, but even that it's you know you're you have a whole bunch of other people looking at you on, on Zoom. Yeah. it's it's not it's not really what you would have in a in a parish hall after church or in a, a church gathering it's 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 there's some level of space between you that yeah. doesn't exist in personal gatherings.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good insight. It's, I've just been, it's something I'm just now thinking about, but but the the reality of social media has turned all of us into sort of um, public figures. You know, like when, when I was younger, if you, you sort of had to earn the right to be considered a public figure. And then public figures were sort of knew what they were held to. And so they spoke as a public figure and you could address them as such, you know, well, you you know, as someone who speaks for this church, you said this wrong, or you said this well, or you said, but now, you know, everyone's a public figure. And so we're not actually speaking uh, two, we're speaking past everyone at all times. I mean, I was reminded of this. It's not a political statement, but you know, if you watch some of the hearings this past week, you know, it was like every single thing that was said was simply an attempt to get a retweet or a, a sort of a headline. as far as I could tell, on both sides. I mean, I think it was, an, and it was just, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, that's a that's a terrible degradation of our, of our common civil discourse, which I think you can argue. But on the other hand, you say, well, what else are people supposed to do? I and mean, this is how people communicate. You know, we talk past each other. We actually justify our, our opinions based upon how many likes or dislikes, you know, how many followers, how many people have ratioed me or not you know, huh. on Twitter. And that is all part of a alternative way of living. Than what the church um, has what God has actually designed, you know, and I think that the the face to face in person embodied incarnate life is is going to be preferred, particularly for Christians going forward, because in part we 've seen how anemic all of this is mm-hmm. you know i mean we 've seen i mean try to and it's, it's at least as far as I can tell. You know, the relationships that I had before Zoom have um, continued basically at the same depth level as they were before, which, you know, I'm not, I don't know, I guess there are people out there sort of at um you know meet and greet zooms you know like show up here and we can sort of have like a speed zoom date or something i mean maybe that's the case but but for the most part it seems like um the the relationships have have basically if they were deep before this they've remained deep um and i've put effort into them but in terms of in terms of moving the conversation forward it seems prohibitive at least as far as in my my own personal experience now of course we're only four months into this i mean if it does remain the norm for the next 10 years, I guess we'll figure out something. But I, for one, am yearning to uh, be back in person, masked or unmasked, with my friends um, as soon as I can. And I think that's a, that's a Christian, I mean, that's a human desire, but I think it's, it's compounded by the, the shared sense of, of unity by the Spirit that comes in the fellowship of believers.
1: I'm thinking more and more, actually, about that thing you said at the very beginning of our discussion, Matt, about people who are nothing like you, who are kneeling next to you and receiving the body and blood of Christ, or who are sitting next to you and hearing the law proclaimed and then the gospel proclaimed. And just as multi-chromatic as you could see the faces on your Zoom screen, it's just not the same, Mm -hmm as being in a room with somebody who likes the town's other sports team and went to the other college and has a different color skin and is unlike you in any way except the most profound way, which is in their desperate need for a savior. And there's just no replacing that. Yeah, I mean, I th-
2: who is, I, someone wrote a book. I I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily recommend the author if I'm remembering correctly. you got to remember his name, but but the church should resemble a bus station. Are you going to a bus station and <laughs> and nobody's, I mean, everybody's from going to different places. DMV. They're, um, the bus station? DMV. oh, DMV. Ann says it wasn't a bus station. It's the DMV, <laughs> um, right? So Peter everyone Gally. has to be, you know, it, <laughs> Resemble in the sense that now I don't understand this metaphor. (laughs) It's going somewhere. isn't (laughs) So so why do people go to the DMV? Because they have to go there to get their to get their papers or whatever it might be. But but look around the DMV. I mean, there there are people from all different classes, races, backgrounds. And and so it's just a it's just a conglomeration of people that wouldn't otherwise be together. No one in the DMV would would choose (laughs) to be together on their own, except for the necessity of being there. Now, of course. In the church, there's a really good reason we want to be there because of Jesus, whereas in the DMB the state makes us go. But the same, the same purpose, though, is, or the same reality is true, is you have, uh, you have just such a diverse group of people who would not on their own, choose to be together, but they're, but they're brought in that one place by Christ. This is interestingly, one reason why I think that the home church movement, or the, the House Church movement, is dangerous. You can have some really good house churches, don't get me wrong, but, but one danger of the house church is, is that you self-select people who are just like you who meet in your house. You, you, maybe you've gone to a church of 100 people, but you don't like all those people there, and, and so you kind of spiritualize that dislike. Uh, well, it's just uh, churches in a building with hands, and uh, you know, the, the early century churches met in homes, so let's get my buddy John, my buddy Bill, my buddy uh, Jennifer, and we're going to have our own church. And that's just like the first century church. And all you've really done is separate yourself from the fellowship um, because you're selfish.
0: That's a really interesting point. Um, But I also, you know, it's funny. I also think this is something to do with, you know, coming in person is the is the sacrifice that it takes. You know, it takes time. It takes um, you know, somebody had to get up. I mean, I have three kids, Matt, you have like 14 or 15 kids, don't you? You have- uh, I lost count. That's right. It's been big you know, medical and that's why I that's, that's right. we'll sell you off to the medical factory down the road. Uh, that's my British accent. Uh, everything I know about Britain, I learned from Monty Python. So there we go. But um, no, but, but you know, I never had a lot of sympathy for the people who, who had contempt for those, those people that quote unquote, just came to church. You know, now certainly, maybe 50 years ago, that was a thing, you know, you you went to the moved into a new town, and you wanted to go move up the societal ladder by switching from Methodism to Episcopalianism or something. Maybe that was the case. But that certainly has not been the case in any of my adult life at all. And it is increasingly less so. And so when I see someone who shows up, you know, who has their kids like alive, you know, who has, um, you know, they have a stain on their jacket or they have, I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a witness, you know, it's a confession, it's a sermon, you know? And so I think during this time of all times, when people have have counted all the cost and, you know, their consciences are, are free and they show up even in the midst of something like this, it's, it's like a much even louder sermon, you know, together. And so, you know, we're also, I mean, if you saw our church service, we take a picture, like, I don't know if even Gavin Newsom would have a problem with, it. I mean, people are 10 feet apart, there's mass everywhere, there's everyone's drenched in hand sanitizer you know there's like i mean no one touches anything all the doors are i mean it's hot as blazes because the air conditioner can't heat the you know the low country so all the doors are open you know no one's going to the bathroom i mean it's like it's like the most sterile environment you can imagine and yet it is sweet and yeah. and real and beautiful and life-giving and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, if I don't know what, I'd go find it somewhere else if we were unable to do it. I would do it out in a field or on the beach, you know, or whatever. And I think that um, that's going to be more of the case on the other side of this. I think that people are being confronted with the real question of, is this important to you? You know, and if, and if not, why? And is this substitute online real enough for you? And if so, what does that say about all sorts of things? And I think that that's a real question that needs to be asked. And it's being asked of everyone every Sunday as they, you know, wake up at eight and they decide whether or not to get dress to go to church, you know, and put a mask on and, and bleach themselves or whatever? Um, or do they just sit around and kind of scroll through the various preachers that they've known through their lives and kind of pick a sermon here, a sermon there? Um, and and that's going to prove, I think back to your vegetable analogy, Matt, uh, not healthy enough. Um, I don't think that, and to be fair, look at what, look at the fruit of a lot of this sort of uh, online church that's been going on for decades now, you know, look at look at a lot of the when push comes to shove, when genuine biblical convictions about all sorts of unpopular things come to the fore, you know, in the popular culture, if you have been been. I'm not with with some exceptions, of course, but if you've been been feeding on a healthy diet of cheese straws and um, that pirate's booty stuff that they give kids all the time, you know, um, if that's all you've been careful eating- Careful now, careful now. <laughs> or veggie straws, you know, <laughs> the veggie straws is like the, I mean, the fact that they can market that as veggie, yeah. it's like 98% like cornstarch, but anyway. Um, <laughs> But, but you look at what's happening. Look at what's happening for all the people that quote unquote go to church online for the past 30 years. Like, well, the moment that push comes to shove and any sort of genuine, what, what every Christian has always believed about all sorts of things, uh, whenever that comes a little bit of pressure against them, they just fall. And that's because it's not... It's a, never it's a had to stand in front of somebody. That's right. And disagree with them that yeah. they loved and had that conversation, you know, pastor, why do you preach this? Why do you believe this? Well, let's come, let's open the scriptures. Let's talk about this. You know, they've never had to, to actually be offended by another person, a Christian, and then that had they to had to, to then more. love. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, um, I mean, I was talking the other day with someone who was bemoaning, you know, how few people were coming back to church. And I said, well, You know, I obviously want many people in the whole world to come to church, but I also am not surprised And on one hand, and I think we're still sort of early on into this, but if this continues, if this sort of threat level doesn't change for a while, then we're going to start seeing the people who who we will have um, deeper trust for and deeper affection for and more, um, it turns out, in common with than we ever thought before. Because they will be the people, like you talked about in the beginning, Matt, who, you know, we may be surprised who consider a church to be as important as it is, who, who actually love, need to hear a sermon in person, you know, want to take communion, however, however, you know, socially distanced it is. And we will be surprised, I think, by the people that, that fit that bill. But at the same time, and it's already been the case in my life, encouraged, deeply encouraged by by those people and look forward to growing in my relationships with them even now.
2: I think, uh, I think the tendency of, of the fallen heart is to uh, have the self exalted and, and worshipped and admired. Um, it's self-love. And so our presence... Media age is the most I think tempting thing in the world because you can And I think people are learning they can Sit down in your leather chair in front of your computer and construct a world that revolves around you I mean everything all of your social interactions all of your every bit of entertainment every everything that that you experience in a given day can be shaped by your preference and so you are the sun and all the other people in, in, in your world that you see through the screen are the planets. And so church, going to church is, is the remedy for that. Uh, it, it, you can't do that there. It's probably the one place in our, and I think you mentioned this earlier, JD, probably the one place in our culture now where you don't get to call the shots about who you're, who you're interacting with. And so it's a, and so that forces you to crush, or at least it enables the Holy Spirit to crush uh the the self-exalting self-worshipping i am the center of all things thrust that each of us has
0: in our own our own soul you should go back and read 19 uh not 19 well you should read 1984 but i've been rereading brave new world also in the confluence of the two we are living the the love child of those two books right now because the (laughs) technology was not really the main point of 1984 but the totalitarian sort of inclusion, encroachment of the state was. Uh, but the technology is entirely the point of A Brave New World, um, down to the point you just made, Matt, where, you know, Soma, this drug that they all take all the time, was immediately popped anytime any of them had any discomfort at all, you know, in the moment. And then they actually genetically engineered the caste system down to the point where like the, the delta minuses, I think is the lowest one, were socially conditioned and biologically genetically altered so that they loved uh running the elevator for instance you know things like this and it was <laughs> unbelievably prescient and he wrote this back like well before uh, George Orwell did, I think, but anyway, read those two because what we're living through is the, and, and they're both dystopic. You know, it's not like Aldous Huxley was saying this is a good world. You know, because the quote-unquote savage who came from the embodied world, you know, who actually felt things, uh, eventually uh, kills himself. I'm gonna give away the hmm. book, but you know, because he he can't live in a world. Where there is no actual risk, there's no there's no pain. You know, if there's no pleasure, there's no there's no there's only pleasure. But what is pleasure if it doesn't have you know if it doesn't have its converse? You know, what's what's evil without good? You know, blah blah blah. But all of this. Is, is all talked about and it's fascinating to reread it. You know, I read it back in high school or college and, to, and it's always stuck with me, but to read it in light of what we're going through now, particularly with the technology and the fertility technology and all of the various ways that people are doing CRISPR and whatnot, it's fascinating. So I would, I would just recommend that to you as a, as a I would I, would, I have,
2: I know, I've, uh, I think I read 1984 in high school, but I vaguely vaguely remember it and i thought i was you know i didn't in high school i was a straight c student so i'm sure I, i'm sure I didn't retain right
0: down the middle there
2: you go <laughs> retain <laughs> uh retain much but uh one more thing i mean maybe a church with liturgy actually does more for the person in our particular culture than the kind of churches we've oh several weeks running been talking about where the everything's geared around entertainment or or, or or drawing the person in by by some kind of uh, meeting that person's felt needs because that that's just that's just a corporate version of what the person's already doing in his home right the person for the person at home with technology is kind of constructing his own world that revolves around him and then and so when he goes and looks for a church he's going to try and find a church that does that and so a lot of these church cultures are, are designed to do that and they and they they just make you your preferences, what they're seeking to meet, whereas liturgical church, it doesn't do that. It, it, you know, it's a you you walk in immediately, you know, this isn't my country. This is this, yeah. this is a different this is a different country uh, with people I don't choose with uh, not my entertainment. Um, I remember when I was going to Virginia Theological Seminary, I went to the Falls Church, and the uh, John Yates was preaching, and I forgot what the text was, but. I do remember this moment because he was speaking to parents who had been complaining that their children were bored um, and they hadn't had, you know, they wanted, I don't know if they wanted a screen put up bear or, or something, but, but John Ye said, that's, that's good. I'm glad your kids are bored. They need to be bored. They need to learn how to be bored and sit through something. They don't, it's not touching all of their sensors at once. It's good for your children to learn how to be bored, listen to something, and overcome that boredom. I thought it was really great. It was yeah. I, yeah, instead of you know kind of catering. Oh, what can we do to make the children happy? It's no, they, they just sit there and listen.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating that we have the longitudinal study, you know, of this, <laughs> of what the so, quote unquote secret sensitive church movement produced. Like we now see the fruit of it, and it is a mass exodus from Mm from christianity you know this is what happened and you know i think that the to the extent that people are still looking to create their own church perhaps this zoom reality is just going to let them you know have their cake and eat it too and now they can you know we this is what we've always wanted is to have a little bit of this music a little bit of that preacher a little bit of this and oh by the way we didn't actually want to get dressed and wanted to have coffee and you never let us bring coffee into the sanctuary so now we get it and you know part of me is like well fine that's fine, um, you know if that's what maybe maybe that will be sufficient for you, but there will be a number a lot of people for whom it is insufficient, and we will continue to to work the, the steps you know as the, as the AA people do say you know we'll continue to, to keep the, the the fundamentals going, uh, catch, catch cover funnel right Nick, and then um, and then watch that the Holy Spirit does through faithful preaching, you know uh, an ordered and digestible and in the vernacular liturgy. And the worship and exaltation of God in person will continue to do what he has promised to do through his church, which is to strengthen, encourage, uplift, redeem, and save his people.
1: I think that's a good note to end on. I like your illustration Matt, of going into a new world, but it is only in a world that we would not create that the actual good news is to be found. Um, We would save ourselves in our world. We need to go into a new world where we have a Savior who is not us, and his name is Jesus Christ. We are out of time this week. Um, As always, there's a lot more to say. If you'd like to join the conversation, please be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. We uh, so appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon. We'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.